If you are a guest with us, welcome to you. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's good to have you worshiping with us today. I want to begin by reading a scripture to us. Uh, Psalm 75, verse 1. As we are looking into now Thanksgiving here in just a few days, uh, I want us to take some time to think about thankfulness and thanksgiving and what the scriptures would say about that. Psalm 75, verse 1 says, We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. I want you to take a second and look at that word recount. We recount your wondrous deeds. So to recount means to, um, to, to go back over something again, right? It's not complicated. And, and what I want you to see here is the command of the scriptures is that we would consistently go back and think again about how God has been good to us so we can be thankful some more. Why does God ask us to go back and remember what we, want to, what we need to be thankful for? Because we forget. Right? Again, it's not complicated. We forget how good God's been. We forget how great he's been. We forget how much we have to be thankful for. That's why the Bible tells us here in Psalm 75, go back and recount God's wondrous deeds so you can remember again how great God has been. One of the 
things we do every year for our family. One of our family traditions is Marie has a, a, um, a tablecloth that she puts out for Thanksgiving. It's a white tablecloth. And we've had it for years. And our kids, every year, they take a Sharpie and they write on the tablecloth what they're thankful for that year. So we've had it since they were tiny little things. And so it's neat to go back and look and remember the weird things they were thankful for. But what are we doing with that? Yeah, it's a cute little thing and probably something you find on Pinterest or whatever. But what we're really trying to teach our kids is to go back and recount and remember all the great things God has done and all the great things we have to be thankful for. So I want to encourage you to bow your heads for me. And, and we'll come back, we'll circle back around here in just a little bit and, and jump on this verse again and think through it as we pray. But I want you to get this idea in our mind. God tells us to to go back and recount, remember, draw back from your memory bank all the wondrous deeds God has done in your life so that you can remember all that you have to be thankful for. Because in the times where the stuff hits the fan and and things are difficult and, and it feels like you're walking through mud, That's when we need to go back and remember. Because it's so easy at that time to forget. So God, I pray that you would make us a remembering people. We would remember your great and wondrous deeds. We would recount them to ourselves often. We would proclaim them to others to encourage others of how good you've been in our lives. And we'll be thankful. Remembering, especially the times when it's difficult. Remembering how much we have to be thankful for in you. Thank you, God. We love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, let's stand together as we worship Jesus Christ, remembering with our voices and our song and our lips how great and awesome God is. Let's sing. Good morning, church. We love Jesus because he first loved us. A whole and a righteous God came down to save we celebrate these truths Lord we celebrate your great your graciousness and your mercy today let's sing
celebrate that truth with me, church. Yes. Woo. Lord, I speak the name of Jesus on everybody gathered here. For the broken, I pray that you would heal them. For those that are walking in darkness, I pray you would bring them light. I pray that we would glorify you with every ounce of our being, that we would value you and treasure you as we continue to sing. Oh, 
seated, church. Amen. Well, as we have been singing and singing about the goodness of God and how thankful we are of His salvation and how He's always going to hold on to us and never let us go. What a great segue that is into, again, just a time of prayer as we think again about all that we have to be thankful for. Psalm 75, 1, recounting all the wondrous deeds of God. I want to ask you to bow your heads for me, and I want to give you a minute to do this. I want to give you a minute just to, in your own mind, take just a moment and recount how good God is. Again, especially, especially this is important in times where where things may not feel good, and at the moment you may not feel like you have much to be very thankful for, especially then how important it is to recount the wondrous deeds of God. Take just a moment, sit before the Lord, let Him bring to your mind all that you have to be thankful for. You know, I think this is especially true as we come into this season of the holidays now that we're embarking on. There are no doubt there are people in this room that the holidays can be very actually difficult. Maybe because you've lost a loved one, maybe this is the first holiday season you're going to have without that loved one. Or maybe it's, it's been some time, but still, it just can be a source of real difficulty and pain. I want to encourage you in this. Let's, one for you, I want to encourage you to take this time to to set your heart on God and thanking God for who He is and what wonderful things He has done. And for us, the congregation even, let's do this just for a moment. Let's, if we could just maybe turn your attention in your mind if you know of someone, or maybe not, but just in generally praying, can we take just a minute and pray for individuals here in our congregation who maybe have lost someone? And coming up on this Thanksgiving, Christmas season, it might be difficult to, to be thankful. Can we just take just a minute and pray for them just to lift them up? God, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, as we sing all the amazing things that we have to be thankful for. And that is so true. But I thank you. Your word is nothing if it's not honest, especially the Psalms. It just shows us how sometimes, if we're honest, we can just be really conflicted in our hearts of feeling the weight of difficulty and strife and things of this world and at the same time desiring to have a heart of thanks and sometimes those two things can 
can even be at battle. I pray, God, for those here in our room today that might feel that. I pray, God, for them that you would have your hand on them, that they would experience your grace and that you would minister to them in, in powerful and profound ways, God, so that they can see how good you are. And even in the midst of grief, they're thankful because they can recount all your wonderful deeds. And I pray, God, for us as a people as a whole, God, that again, we would be remembering people, remembering your good deeds, remembering your good works, your wondrous works, so that we can be a people full of thanks. Do this in us, Jesus, for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, let's find Titus chapter 2, all right? Titus chapter 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 11 together, all right? Titus 2, verse 11. So if we've been going through the book of Titus, we've seen uh, very simply that God says that as Christians we are to bear out good works, right? So we've seen in in Titus chapter 2, very specifically, whether you're A man, a woman, old, young, even the household servants, everyone is expected by God as a follower of Christ to bear out good works. But here's going to be the thing, and here's where today is so important. You came on a good day. Um, I'm glad you didn't come next week. It's totally going to stink. But this week is awesome. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, What we're going to see today is so significant. Because what we're going to see in Titus 2, 11 through 15, is... God showing not just the good works you need to do, but check this. How do you do it? Isn't that really the thing? So as Christians, we typically are really, really good at explaining all the things you should not do. And we usually stink at explaining how you go about not doing them. Is that fair? Like we're we're really good at do this and don't do that. But we're, we're not awesome at how to actually go about bearing out those good works. But thankfully, the Bible doesn't drop the ball there. The Bible does explain to us how we do this. As Christians in church, um, we typically, when we, when we try to help people bear out good works, we usually res- um, uh, uh, fall down into one of three categories to try to make people do things. Fear, guilt, and habit. Right? We, we use fear to try to motivate people. Right? Like God told you to give. God told you to tithe. And if you don't tithe, if you don't give to God, the Bible says you're robbing him. And if you don't give him his 10% in the offering plate, he's going to get it somehow. He's going to make your hot water heater go out. He's going to make your transmission break. And listen, if you've been in church longer than 10 minutes, you've heard that sermon. Here's the problem, though. It makes God sound like a mob boss, right? Give him his cut or he's going to break your thumbs. Just off the top of your head, does it sound like God? I hope not. But we'll use fear to try to manipulate and motivate you to, to do a thing. And here's the thing about fear. You ready? It totally works for a little bit. And then it stops. So then we'll use guilt. You call yourself a Christian? Is that how Christians live? You should be better than that. You should not do that. You should do this. You call yourself a Christian. You're not really living this thing out. And then again, here's the thing with guilt. It works. 
for a little bit. And then we'll just go to straight habit. Right? Well, you just need to build better habits in your life. You need to get a habit of being in the Word and a habit of going to church and a habit of praying. You need to build in these habits. And here's the problem. If doing these things is purely just a habit, again, it may work for a little bit, but then it's going to fall off. Fear, guilt, and habit don't bring long-lasting, genuine fruit. It doesn't bear out actual, legitimate, good works. So what does? What we're going to see in the Bible today is this. What actually bears out good works, lasting, genuine, legitimate fruit, how you do this is by the gospel of Jesus Christ changing your heart. And as a result of changing your heart, he then changes your actions. If you've been here, I'm coming up on my, I'm finishing four years. January, I'm going to start year five, which is crazy. But if you've been here for any length of time, you've heard me say Christianity is more about your heart than your hands. What I mean by that is it's about God changing your heart. And as God changes your heart, he'll take care of the actions. He'll do that. He'll fix that. But you got to go for the heart first. Oftentimes we just go for the hands. We just go for the actions. Quit doing this and start doing that. But the only way you can get people to change that is, again, fear, guilt, and habit. And it doesn't last. The Bible's going to say your heart needs to be changed. My wife and I were talking about this yesterday, about parenting, right? If all you do is try to change your child's actions, that only works as long as you're in the room, you're watching them, and they're afraid of your punishment. But the second that doesn't happen any longer, you're not around, they've gotten older, they've moved out, you can't beat them anymore. If the heart hasn't changed, the actions, they're, they're just going to go back into whatever it is they want to do. you got to have the heart be changed. This is what Titus 2, 11 through 15 is going to be hitting at. Let's see the heart be changed. Then we'll get into some actions. Right. So Titus chapter 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 11. Let's see what the Lord says to us. Titus 2, let's start in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. All right, let's just stop right there, real quick. This is talking about just basically getting saved, right? Titus 2 verse 11 is about you getting saved. So step one is this. In order for you to have lasting, genuine, good works, godly, biblical good works bear out in your life, step one is you have to actually get saved, all right? That's first. It says there in verse 11, the, the grace of God has appeared. I love, that word appeared, it's the same word as a, sun, as a sunrise. Right? So when the sun rises, right, that big giant ball of fire rises up. Not only do you now see the sun, but now you're able to see everything else more clearly because the sun has risen. That makes sense? It's not only what you see, it's the thing by which you're now able to see everything else. And this sun has risen. And what he's trying to get at is this. So in the dark, you're fumbling around. You're trying to find an answer. You're trying to find a way. You're trying to figure it out. But you can't. You keep stumbling. You keep stubbing your toe. You keep running into walls. You can't see anything. But then the sun rises. And finally, it all makes sense. In fact, that word appears also the same word that we eventually get our English word, epiphany. 
What's an epiphany? An epiphany is this, you've got these problems, you've got these issues, you've got these things, and out of nowhere, this idea pops in your mind. And it all finally clicks. And it makes sense. And you see it now. You go, oh, that's the answer. This is my problem, and this is my answer. I see it now. It's an epiphany. It's an appearing. And that's the way it's described in the gospel. You have been trying to figure out your problem. You've been trying to get your life together. Some of you are in this room today as a desire to get your stuff straight. I, get, I know this is wrong. I know I'm messing up. I know I'm not a good dad. I know I'm not a good wife. I know I'm messing this thing up. I want to be better. I'm going to go to church. And you're here today. I'm so glad that you're here because I want you to understand what Titus 2.11 says is the gospel of Jesus Christ is your answer. It says there in verse 11 again, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That word bringing is huge. You don't go get saved, you're brought salvation. You don't go get God, God comes and gets you. Some of you, you're here today, not because you woke up this morning thinking it was a good idea for you to come find God, because God is chasing you. He was ordaining that you would live, that you would be in this room today, that you would hear the gospel, and that you would be saved. It's all a matter now, we're just wrapping this whole thing up. We'll teach you the handshake later, you're in the club. This was God's plan. He has brought you in so that you can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So step one is this, understanding, seeing clearly now. The problem is me. The problem is not this world. The problem is not society. The problem is not being I'm oppressed. The problem is not my mom and my dad. The problem is me. I am a sinner. It's like a cheesy 80s horror movie. The killer is inside the house. It is you. The problem is in here. I am a sinner. I am rebelling against God. I am chasing my own way. I have no hope because I am clearly seeing that I'm the problem and I can't fix me. But God in his grace brought an answer. God in his grace, even though you deserve to experience his wrath because you have sinned and rebelled against him, he sent his own son to die in your place on the cross, was buried in the grave for your sin and rose again so that as you trust by faith in him, you can be made new. And this is why salvation is step one, because what salvation does is it doesn't just take your sin away and it doesn't just make sure you go to heaven and not hell. What salvation is, is literally God takes out that old, crusty, hard heart. He takes it out of you and places inside of you a brand new heart that can actually love God now. That can actually obey Him now. Think of it like a computer. You had an old operating system that was full of glitches and bugs and crash. And it, you had that blue screen of death. Just, oh my goodness, right? You're having to control, alt, delete every 30 seconds. What salvation does is it takes out that old busted operating system that doesn't work and places in a brand new operating system that finally. 
finally can function the way that God created and designed you to function in a way that seeks to know him and love him and serve him and pursue him. You were created to live for God, by the grace of God, for the glory of God. And the reason everything in your life is jacked up is because you're not doing that. That's why you were created. But that old, fallen, sinful operating system can't work in that. So salvation is you trusting by faith in Christ, and he takes out that heart of stone, and he puts in a brand new heart of the Spirit, a heart of flesh, a heart that can finally operate and work in the way that you were created to, to know God and love God and serve God and worship God and obey God. And now here you are. Step one, have you actually trusted by faith in Christ and been saved? Have you actually trusted by faith in Christ and been made new? But then it keeps going. So here's what we do. Again, we get saved. But many of us in church, again, we stop there. Like, whoo, I did that. I got saved. I walked the aisle. I shook the preacher's hand. I prayed the prayer. I got baptized. I got saved. And legitimately, you legitimately got saved. That's awesome. But the Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible does not stop with, you got saved, congratulations, you get to go to heaven one day. It keeps going. And that's where we get verse 12. We'll get verse 12. So verse 11, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, but it keeps going. Verse 12, what else does the grace of God do? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. If you have a Bible, I want you to circle the word training. If you have NIV, King James, New King James, it probably says something like teaching. Here's what I want to teach you real quick. So I think training is a better word, and here's why. The word teaching there, um, uh, if, you're, if your English Bible says teaching, the Greek word for teaching is didasko. Um, it means sort of like... Um, uh, a lecture, right? You're standing in, you're sitting in a college class, you're sitting in a giant lecture hall, a professor's down at the bottom and just talks incessantly for an hour and a half, right? And you're trying your best to listen and take notes and get what you can so you can do well on a test. That's didasco. That's not the word here in verse 12. The word here is paduo, which translates better as training and here's why not just training it specifically is describing how you train up your toddler which is awesome not only that it's in a present tense in other words it's an ongoing thing so what it means is this the grace of god not just saves you but then the grace of god comes alongside the holy spirit coming alongside as a helper training you helping you and how to actually live this thing out and he's not just giving you a lesson, do this, do this, do this, do this. He's coming alongside training, like you train your small child. How do you train your child how to walk? Did you sit your 18-month-old down and do an hour-and-a-half-long PowerPoint presentation explaining the different dynamics of the human walk? Right? Proper balance. No. What did you do? You picked your... You're trying to grab them by the little hands, right? They just grabbed your little fingers, and you picked them up, and you started to kind of walk with them, and they toppled, and they fell. And you put rubber, well, 
y'all parents now you do this. Growing up, we didn't do this, right? You put a little, <laughs> you put a little things on the corner. <laughs> when I was growing up, we called that a lesson. Um, right? Won't do that again. So, but what do you do, right? You, 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 you pick that child up, and, and, and they're just talking. And they take like two steps, and they fall down. And what do you do? You act like they just won a stinking gold medal. Right? You lose your mind. Oh, my goodness. He's a walker. Oh, this is amazing, right? And if they stumble and if they fall, do you just, do you scold them? No, you're like, that's okay, I'll back up, buddy, let's do it again. This is the way the Bible describes the grace of God training you in how to live out the Christian life. He is not sitting there lecturing you. He is not just waiting for you to crash and burn he is a loving, awesome, gracious dad teaching you how to walk. And that's slow, and that takes time, and different people, we have four kids, and they all learn that at different times, right? Different ages, they learn to walk, right? Some were early, some were late, some, you know, were crawling to kindergarten, it felt like. But here's the thing, eventually it clicked, right? Right? If, if, if your child is a healthy properly functioning child, they're not going to crawl through their high school graduation. It may feel like it takes forever, but eventually that thing clicks, right? And boom, they're walking. And this is the way it's describing God and his grace training you. God doesn't just save you and leave you. God doesn't just save you and, and lecture you. God saves you fills you with his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is described as this helper, this come alongside that comes and fills you now that you're a Christian and just says, all right, you got this. Come on, I've got this. Let's take this step. Now take this step. Now take, oh, you fell. It's okay. Hop up. Now take this step. This is how the grace of God trains you. And, and look at what he trains. So again, look at verse 12. Training us to do two things. Again, if you have a Bible, we'll circle two things. Renounce and live. All right, that's both in verse 12. So, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So, God does two things. The grace of God. The grace of God tells you trains you, equips you in what not to do and what to do, right? He trains you to renounce. The word renounce means to deny, to turn your back from, to, to rebuke, to say no. The grace of God, listen, there's a, a bizarre, unbiblical, ungodly teaching that being a grace people means that we can't tell people what they're doing is wrong or because you're you're saved by the grace of God. That means, man, you get, to, you get to just do whatever you want. Again, your problem there is going to be the Bible. Because Titus 2 clearly says the grace of God trains you to say no to things. As a Christian, you should be known for what you say no to. There are things that you should not just say no to, but the word renounce is very strong. Like you rebuke, like you say, I'm saying no to that because that is wicked and no one should do it. Now you say no to stuff. 
specifically it says you're saying no, you're denying, you're renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions. The word, un- the word ungodliness just means literally to not view God the way he should be viewed. And worldly passion is to lust after the things of this world, to long for the things of this world. So like, you say no to that stuff. You say no to wrong views of God that do not glorify and honor him, placing him in the proper place for who he is. You say no to worldly passions that just suck you in to a life that does not bring glory and honor to God. You say no to things. And, and, and I know in this world, there's so much thrown at us. Like, well, what, what should I say no to? Again, don't, we tr- we make things so complicated, and the reason we do that is because we're looking for an out. Listen, anything you think, say, do, participate in, or give approval of, that you would be embarrassed for Jesus to be standing beside you while you do it, say no to that. Right? Don't make it complicated. Right? Anything that you would want Jesus to be like, so what are we doing today? Like, um... I was just going to sit and read my Bible. (laughs) You should say no to that. The grace of God trains us to renounce certain things. And the grace of God trains us to live a certain way. We say yes to things. We live what? Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Self-controlled, the way we view ourselves is different. Upright, the way we view others around us is different. Godly, the way we view God is now different. He changes the way we view ourselves, others, and Him. We live differently now. And the grace of God trains us for this. So again, think about this idea of an operating system. So some of you may be at work. Um, a higher up in management had the great idea of changing your operating system. Isn't that awesome when they do that? Like, hey, we're going to completely change the whole system. Great. It does not matter that they tell you it's going to be awesome, and it's got all kinds of bells and whistles, and it's going to make your job so much easier, and it's going to cut all this time. It doesn't matter how awesome the operating system is if you don't know how to use it. Yes? In order for you, it doesn't matter how great of a system you're given, if you don't know how to actually use it, it's worthless. And this is what the Bible is trying to get out here in Titus 2, 11 and 12. You're given a brand new operating system in Christ. A way of seeing him and seeing yourself and seeing the world and saying no to this and yes to this. You're given a brand new framework for how to live. But you have to be trained in how to use it. How do we use this thing? doesn't matter how awesome it is, how many bells and whistles it has, how great it's going to make your life. If you don't know how to use it, it's worthless. And ultimately going to bring even more frustration, which I think is where a lot of Christians are. You know you should be living differently, but you do not know how to allow the grace of God to train you to live in that. So you just kind of feel frustrated. You know you should do more. You know you should be different. You know you shouldn't do this and you should do that, but how? The grace of God trains us. So how does the grace of God train us? Um, I'll I'll just give you this quick sentence just as a thought, all right? Of just kind of bringing it together, and then we'll look at verses 13 and 14. We grow in godliness 
and good works by focusing on what Jesus has done for us. We grow in godliness and in good works by focusing on what Jesus has done for us. You cannot say no to sin by focusing on that sin. It doesn't work that way. You can't deny yourself by focusing on yourself. Because all you think about is how much you don't want to deny yourself. The only way that you grow in godliness and in good works is by setting your heart, setting your mind, focusing on who Christ is and what he's done for you. So let's pick up verses 13 and 14. So, the grace of God appears saving us. The grace of God trains us. And here's how it goes about doing that. Verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So again, if you have a Bible, I want you to circle a couple of words. In verse 13, uh, the word waiting, your translation may say something like looking. Right? Circle that one. Verse 14, circle redeem, circle purify, and circle zealous. All right? Redeem, purify, and zealous. Let's hit verse 14 first. Look at what it's saying is true of you in verse 14. Again, the idea is you grow in godliness and you grow in good works, not by you trying harder, working harder, focusing on the good works, developing a strategy and a plan and, 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 and having an accountability partner. All that stuff may, work, may be good and it may, that may come. But you must have a deeper heart thing happen first. And that verse 14 unpacks this. What did Jesus do for you? When I say that you grow in godliness and good works by focusing on what Jesus has done for you. Verse 14 unpacks what he has done. What did he do? He gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So the word redeem there means to buy out of slavery. To buy out of slavery. And it says there he redeems us, he buys us out, and he purifies us. That means to cleanse us from all of our defilement, all of our sin, all of our dirt, all of our grime, all of our past, all of our failures, all of our junk. Cleanse us perfectly and purely. Making us his own precious possession so that we would be zealous and excited for good works. So what he's trying to get at here is the idea that as you see how great God is and what amazing work he's done for you in giving himself to buy you out of slavery and make you clean. As you do that and bring you in for his own possession, as you do that, now you love doing good works. It's changed now. Now you're not doing it because you know you should. You're doing it because you're so excited about who Jesus is. You want to. Your desire is you're zealous for it. The Old Testament story that comes to my mind when I think about this is the story of Hosea and Gomer. So Hosea was an Old Testament prophet. And God did some really funny things with his Old Testament prophets. He loved putting them in awkward situations to teach a bigger story. So there's one time in the Old Testament God made a prophet walk around naked to show everyone how they're exposed before God. Uh, there's another time where God made a prophet um, put together a pile of human feces set it on fire, and cook his dinner over top of it. 
to show people that that's what I think about your good works, just a big pile of, you know, flaming pile of poo. So for Hosea, God goes to Hosea and says, Hosea, I got a job for you. Hosea's like, awesome. It's not going to be the naked thing, is it? No, it's not that. Okay, good. Um, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go get married. That's awesome. I want to get married. That's great. Yep. I want you to go get married. I want you to go get married to a girl named Gomer. Like, yeah, not crazy about the name. Um, like, if you're, if you're a couple, you're looking for Bible names, I don't recommend Gomer. Um, so, so I want you to go marry Gomer. He's like, eh, not crazy about the name, but all right, all right, I think I can make that work. Um, but here's the thing about Gomer, Hosea. Um, she is going to be constantly, aggressively, ruthlessly unfaithful to you. That, that stinks. Yeah, she is going to be consistently unfaithful to you, but I want you to love her. So Hosea marries Gomer, and indeed, Gomer is horrifically unfaithful to Hosea. She has, to our knowledge, at least two children outside of wedlock from other men, and she apparently involves herself in sexual immorality to such a degree she becomes a sex slave. She is owned by, she's married to Hosea. Hosea is her husband. But she has so given herself to other men, she is now owned by another man. Can you imagine? And again, this is not poetry. This is not fiction. This is real life. Hosea was a man, a real guy. Can you imagine the spot that he's in? Everyone knows what his wife has done to him, how she's embarrassed him, how she has mocked him, how she has mistreated him, how she has has been so horrifically unfaithful to him, and now here she is. And Hosea gets word that Gomer is actually on the trading block. She's going to get sold. So Hosea goes to where she's at. And can you imagine, I mean, you have this woman standing on a stage with these disgusting men all around her, desiring, determining who is going to get to pay the most money to take her home as just a piece of property, to do whatever they want with her. And everyone's around looking and gawking and poking and making jokes. And, and then Hosea walks up, and can you imagine, like he... He pushes his way through everybody. He comes to the front of the line. And he's standing there face to face with his wife, who has been horribly unfaithful to him. And I can imagine everyone is thinking, oh man, this is going to be good. Hosea's going to tell her what he really thinks now. He's going to get to mock her and spit on her and, and, and beat her. He's going to get to stand and laugh as the highest bidder pays for her and drags her off by the hair. This is going to be amazing. And what does Hosea do? He quietly reaches into his pocket. He pulls out a bag of money. He lays it down. He buys his wife back from her pimp. And he takes her cleans her up, he puts on a new set of clothes, and he brings her home. 
can only imagine as they're sitting there, she must be thinking, what's he going to do to me? What's next? Hosea looks at Gomer and says, I love you. And I've bought you back because you are my wife. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life loving you. And I'm asking you to spend the rest of your life loving me. What do you think the rest of that marriage life looked like? Gomer, I would imagine, literally, I mean, just fell at Hosea's feet. The whole point of Hosea and Gomer is, when someone shows that kind of love, that kind of grace, that kind of redemption, and purification, saying, you have given yourself to something else, you've given yourself to someone else, but I'm buying you back from me so that you can live for me, and I'm going to clean you up, and I'm going to make you mine because I want you for me. I don't care what you've done, and I don't care who you've been with, and I don't care how dirty they think you are. You're special to me, and I'm going to buy you back and purify you so you can be mine forever. And when someone loves you like that, you are zealous to love them back. Yes? That's the point. How do you live a good life? How do you live a life that brings glory to God? How do you manifest good works? You see how great God saved you. The whole point of Hosea and Gomer, you're not Hosea. You're Gomer. You're the dirty, filthy prostitute who deserves to be drugged off to God knows what. But Jesus, Jesus shows up and says, I'm going to buy them back. And not only am I going to buy them back, I'm not going to buy them back with silver or gold. I'm going to buy them back with my own blood. I'm going to redeem them and buy them out of slavery and purify them and cleanse them and fill them with my spirit so that they can live the rest of their life zealous for me. That's the point. That's the point. How do we live good works? Not by coming up with better strategies and better Bible studies and better accountability partners but by seeing and savoring and loving and soaking up how great a salvation Jesus has given you. That's why you go back to verse 13, that word appearing or looking. It means to long and desire with eager expectation. The point is, you see how great and amazing and awesome and glorious Jesus is. So your focus, your gaze is fixed solely on him. I love him and I desire him and I want him and I can't wait for him to come back for me. But until he does, I am excited about doing everything he tells me to do on this earth. That's the point. This is how we live good works. This is how we do all that stuff that Titus tells us to do. By seeing Jesus Christ. The way we grow in godliness 
and good works is by focusing on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. This is the point. This is what we do. Again, if you've been here for any length of time, you've heard me use the sponge illustration. I use it a bunch. The idea is this. It doesn't matter how strong you are, how hard you squeeze, how much you wrench, how hard you try, how determined you are. You can't get one drop of liquid to come out of a dry sponge. Right? It just doesn't happen. What you have to do is take that sponge, soak it in liquid, immerse it in water, and then once you pull it up out of that, that water soaks up into all those pores. And so you come out of the water, now you're able to squeeze something out. And this is the way that we talk about living out good works and salvation. You must allow your heart to be soaked in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every pore filling up with how glorious of a redemption and a purification and a salvation he has done for me. Soaking up in so that as you're filled up with how glorious and awesome and amazing Jesus is, now your heart rings out good works for his glory. That's the point. That's the point. I'm going to ask our band to come up and I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for me. I, I know the question that many ask is, okay, well then how do, I, how do I do that? How do I do that? And real quick, I'll give you this. Three words. In, under, and around. Right? In, under, and around. One, got to be in God's word so that you can see who God is and how glorious he is. You got to be under Bible preaching and teaching so that it can be poured into you who God is and how glorious of a salvation he is. And you got to be around godly people who are going to point you to him. You got to be in the word, under the word, and around other people who are in and under the word. As we're doing this and we're setting our eyes on Christ, we begin to see him more and more and more for who he is and the glorious salvation that he has given. We're made new. So for you here this morning, one, have you been saved? We talked about that at the beginning, right? Has the gospel of Jesus Christ shone brightly? in your life and that you've been saved and you've been made new if not I want you to see today the problem is that you are a sinner and there's nothing you're going to be able to do to work your way out of that but God in his grace has appeared bringing salvation for all people. And that all includes you. Today you can be saved. Today you can say, Jesus Christ, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me new. Take away that heart of stone that doesn't want to love you and put in a heart of flesh and fill with the spirit that does want to love you. I need you to save me. 
for those of us who have trusted by faith in Christ for salvation, are you trusting in Christ now also for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of God to train you in salvation, to train you and equip you as you look into Jesus and how glorious of a salvation he has given. And your heart is filled up with his glorious, amazing gift so that you can wring out a life of good works. As we sing here in just a moment, I want you to set your hearts again as we sing on Jesus, who Jesus is, the great gift that he has given to us, and that you would set your heart on Christ and focused on Christ, who he is and what he's done, so that your heart is filled you're ready to walk out in good works. If you want to come forward and pray, you're welcome to do that. If you want to grab someone to pray with you, you can. Um, people will be up front here that can pray with you if you'd like that. But let's take just a minute here today asking Jesus to show us how great of a salvation he gives. Jesus, do this in us for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Again, I encourage you, you can stand and sing and worship with us that way. You can find a brother or a sister to go pray over, pray with. You can come kneel before the sanctuary of God. But whatever you do, I pray that you would do it for the glory of Christ. Let's celebrate.
that everything else is built on that you are our only hope and that we must call out to you and that any any good works any good thing we're going to do is going to come because of you so we're just coming back to you Jesus I pray this truth solidified in our hearts we would just live for your glory Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, have a seat for me, if you will, guys. Um, well, as we, as we wrap up our time here this morning in worship, uh, one, if you're a guest with us today, welcome. Again, we're so glad that you're here worshiping with us. We'd love to connect with you. Best way you can do that is very simply just to grab your cell phone right now. And text the word CONNECT, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, text CONNECT to our number, 910-424-1298. That's how we're going to get plugged in together so we can know who you are and see how we can minister to you in the best way possible. Uh, But for everyone here, we've got our three big announcements we want everyone to know so you can know what's going on here at Southview. Uh, One is this, no Wednesday activities this coming Wednesday, Thanksgiving holiday, everybody's traveling. So no Wednesday activities, no youth, no kids, no journey groups, no adult ministry, nothing, all right? Shut down. You can come sit in the parking lot if you want, but the building's closed, all right? Nothing going on this Wednesday. Second, Ladies of Grace annual brunch, Christmas brunch. That's our women's ministry. They put together an amazing Christmas brunch every year. $15 is the cost for that. Ladies, you're not going to want to miss it. It's, It's really the highlight of the year. For our ladies' ministry, you can buy tickets out either door. Tables outside, you can buy $15 there. Please do that. You're going to want to be a part of that. You're not going to want to miss it. And then third, Christmas is upon us, right? Next time we get together, we're officially in Christmas season, and I'm going to be singing a lot of Christmas songs. We want to decorate, all right? One of the ways we do that is with um, buying poinsettias, the uh, flowers. So if you'd like to buy one, you can buy one for yourself, buy one for someone else. We'll decorate them up here, then you can take them home at, at the Christmas Eve service. But if you'd like to do that, you can just text the word flower. We did not make you text poinsettia because no one would do it right. Text flower to our number if you'd like to buy and order one of those uh, for the sanctuary. And then for every other announcement, everything that we have, you can download our app iTunes or Google Play, Southview Baptist Church app. You can stay plugged in there and connected. You can give online through the app or in the giving boxes as you leave. Whatever works best for you. All right? I love you guys. Let me pray for you and I'll let you go. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for your life, for your salvation, for your redemption, for your purification, for your love. I pray, God, that we would live as we see you for who you are, zealous lives for your glory. We pray, God, as we come up on our Thanksgiving season, God, that we would be a people full of thanks. We would just fill our hearts with thanks because you're so good. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you so much. Have a great week.